So being your best self is more important than anything else, right? Because there's only three things that you can really control in your life. It's your mind, it's your body, and your craft. And so those are the three things that you should always focus on day in and day out and try to and try to make as, as, as efficient as you humanly can. What up, though? Welcome to the Growth Never Stops podcast. My name is Michael, and today's podcast is with another special guest, serial entrepreneur, business consultant, peak performance coach, and retired NFL player, Brad Lockett. As we go in depth about his story and what it takes to consistently operate at an elite level, whether it's in professional sports or in business. Enjoy this one, guys. That was a great one. Let's go. So, Brett, yeah. man, it's a pleasure to have you on the Growth Never Stops podcast. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, man, it's good to be here. I appreciate you, Michael. I appreciate you putting this together, man. Growth is is intricate to every single person's life. So the fact that uh, you're 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 encouraging others to go out and, and find what it is they're looking to grow in is is fantastic. So, man, I really appreciate it. You already know what's up. Growth never stops. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Can't stop growing. You, you, it, see, the thing is, is people don't realize this. It's 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 either you get better or you get worse. There's no saying the same. That's it. You you're either growing or you're dying. There's no yeah, that's it. <laughs> yep. So just to let the audience know, I first heard about you on uh, Omar's uh, podcast. And as an avid podcaster who has listened to thousands of podcasts these past years, this one with you particularly resonated with me on a deeper level. And uh, with that being said, could you take us through your story before reaching the NFL? and uh, talk um, like take us through the challenges that you had to overcome before uh, reaching that uh, elite level and also talk about the bullying which is something I was really surprised to uh, hear about because when someone looks at you like I, I could imagine that you were the guy growing up you know great looking guy man charismatic he, he just got it but it wasn't really that case right so could you make yeah, no, it, it, up? <laughs> it definitely wasn't, you know, um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say I blossomed late because I was, I was six feet tall in, in uh, eighth grade. So I was, I was definitely a big kid, but, um, you know, I was the oldest. I came, you know, my, my, I'm the oldest of three and, um, you know, my, 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 I didn't have a lot of cousins that I hung out with. And so I was just kind of around my parents. And so, you know, I, I grew up in a community where it was all um, the diamond bar, which is, you know, mostly Asian. Um, my high school was 3,000 kids, and my graduating senior class was about 943. And out of those, it was like 85% Asian, right? Wow. Which is which is not, you know, it's neither here nor there. But you know, when I started, when I got to to middle school, is when I started getting bullied, and it was because back in the day, you know, this was before this was when rock was still big. This is when you know Blink 182. There was TRL on MTV. I'm sure you guys watched it from from the UK, you know, and I grew up listening to that kind of stuff. I was a skateboarder, I rollerbladed, but I also played sports. And so when I got to middle school, I started getting bullied for that, right? Uh, by by not and not by the Asian kids or, the, or other kids. It was it was by you know black kids because I didn't fit in with the normal you know hip hop culture. And so I utilized sports as uh, kind of that that medium to be able to tell you know not not tell kids, but but be able to show them that you know I was I was better than them in, in, in something and that I belonged right because essentially it was just being able to fit in I didn't I didn't fit in right and so you know, I was I was bullied from you know middle school then into high school 
um, and then into, you know, to, to college. And so I, I've always utilized that as, as kind of a, a motivation to, to be the best at what it is that I do. Um, because there's always somebody that doesn't want you to win. And, um, you know, I, I, obviously when you look at bullying and when you look at why kids bully each other, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's because of wanting to fit in. And it, it's also because of, you know, some, some type of jealousy on the other end of that, um, or, or, or something even more personal going on at home. And so, you know, obviously when you're young, you don't understand that, but, you know, moving forward, that's what kind of propelled me to continue being the best that I could on the field, as well as having a good support group from my family, uh, my parents, you know, they always told me, you know, Brett, stand up for who you are, stand up for what you believe in, and never start anything that you're not going to finish. And so I, I always, I still have heed to that to, to, to this day. You know, there's certain things that I do that I start, and I'm like, man, I, I don't really think this is going to be as beneficial as I thought it was. But the fact that I already started it, it was like, hey, I got to go through and finish this thing. And that's a, a big thing that when you look at a lot of people and why people never really reach the levels of success is because when you start anything, everybody's excited to start, right? And it's, it's, it's after, you know, the first few months or, or the first few weeks that you get into that thing and things start becoming difficult. It starts becoming difficult to get through whatever it is you're trying to get to and not, and, and then you want to quit or you want to say, oh, I'm not really interested, so I'm going to stop, right? right? And I, I, know, I know, you know, people like that have said, hey, you know, you know, hey, I thought you were doing this. And you're like, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I wasn't really passionate about it. You know what I mean? So I, I stopped, right? And that's not how I was raised. It was like, I don't care if you're passionate about it or not. If you say you want to do it, right? But, but if you're going to do this, then you're going to finish it. And so right. that's They're what right. I've always, always taken, you know, into my life. And so, um, you know, going into college, I went to UCLA. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that. That's, uh, you know, I think this year they were voted the number one public university uh, in the entire world, which is a huge accomplishment. But um, went there and, uh, and and played for four years. And for those of you in the UK that um, aren't familiar with the school system here, you know, we have 12, 12 years of, of, of grade school, and then you go to a university. And so um, I had four years of football to play. I played three, um, or excuse me, I, I played three, didn't start meaning I didn't start as, as, a, as a starter, but my, my final year I started. And I had a decent season, didn't have the, the, the craziest season that I thought I would have, but um, ended up playing in my last game uh, in college against uh, USC, which here in Los Angeles, there's, there's two main uh, universities. It's USC and it's UCLA, right? And there's been a rivalry that's been going on for, for years, and I'm talking about decades. And um, you know, if you went to USC, you, you're, you're rooting for USC. And if you went to UCLA, you hate USC. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we played, we played, uh, USC, uh, in 2008 and they were ranked number two in the nation. And, you know, they had, they had some of the best players, you know, to that have ever played the game, you know, uh, that played in the NFL guys like Clay Matthews, who's still playing, uh, guys like, uh, you know, Ray Malua, guys like Brian Cushing, uh, some of the biggest just, just players, you know, Reggie Bush was there a few years before. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember him, but sure. just huge, huge stars. And so um, played against them in second quarter. I come down and I make a tackle and I, I, I stick my arm out to try to trip the guy as I make the tackle. And, um, and, I, and I just I, I feel this this like crack kind of thing in my arm. And, you know, I play one more play and, and come out and I go to, you know, the locker room with the training staff and they. Uh, take me through an x-ray and the doctor comes out and says hey Brett you broke your left radius you're done 
And so it was, it was, it was big disappointment, but, um, I, you know, a week later I had, a, I had surgery, I had a, a, a plate with six screws put in my arm. Um, and then, um, I had been planning to, to go to Nashville, Tennessee to train for the NFL. And so my agent, um, was the one who sent me there. And so, um, a week later I'm flying to Nashville, Tennessee with a broken arm and a cast on to go train for the, for the NFL. Right. And so, you know, for a lot of people, um, that is, is for, for every football player, for those of you that don't, don't understand football, um, there's, there's this, after you're done playing in college, that is the only opportunity you have to play and make it to the NFL, right? And every, chance, every, every year that you don't play after college, um, going to the NFL, every year you don't get to the NFL, it becomes almost 10% harder to make it to the NFL, right? And your chances are already like 99. Like, let, so put, let me put it in perspective. So for anybody who's ever played or picked up a football, in, in, in any time in their life, less than 0.00001% of them will ever, will ever make it to the NFL, right? So it, to, to say the least, it's it's extremely difficult to make it there. And so, you know, I show up in Tennessee, I have this cast on, and I was just determined to to make it. I didn't really care what people said about me. I didn't care what the ratings were out there about me. It was just, hey, I'm going to make it to the NFL because this is this has always been my dream and I know my talent, right? I wasn't really delusional. I'm not one of those delusional guys. If I wasn't great, I'd be like, hey, I'm not that great, right? But I knew how good I was. So, you know, I focused on what I control, what I could control, which was how hard I worked and my attitude I brought to to the facility every day when I practiced. And so while guys were sitting there pounding out weights and doing their thing, I was sitting there lifting with one arm. And I was like, just focus on what you can control, Brett. Just focus on the one arm, right? And so... Um, you know, we two months go by, and um, and I go back to, to LA. That's um, where um, where we had uh, pro day. So what pro day is is in the in the in college ranks. Um, the what the NFL does is they have something called the NFL Combine, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Right. NFL Combine is only the top 300 players uh, in the whole country. Right. There's hundreds of thousands of of uh, uh, really there's over a hundred thousand kids that play football every year in college. So. For those that don't make it to the NFL Combine, the NFL does something called Pro Day, which they go to each university. The scouts from the 32 teams go to each university and watch guys try out, and they take them through very similar drills that they do at the NFL Combine. And so I was preparing for that. And um, my agent told me going into it, you know, he said I had to run a 4-4. He's like, in a 4-4 is the 40-yard dash, right? So 4.4 seconds and running it in 40 yards – I'm not sure what you guys use in the UK for metrics, but you know, three yards are in a foot, or excuse me, three feet are in a, in a yard. And so um, I go out that day and I got my cast taken off two weeks beforehand, uh, which was great. And uh, I, I, went out, I went out that day and I ran, um, it was like top three, uh, 40 times the entire uh, nation. Um, and I had a hell of a show and I was like two, 211 pounds, man, I was ripped. Um, and I, I was, I was just ready to go. And so my, from, from that performance, my agent said, Hey, you have a really great chance of getting drafted. What the NFL draft is, is, you know, there's 32 teams and there's seven rounds. So, you know, they're drafting 32 times seven guys. Um, and then for those of those people that don't get drafted, what the NFL does is they invite guys to play. Right. So they say, hey, we think you're good enough to play. So we're going to invite you in. They may sign you beforehand or they may just invite you as a tryout. Right. And so I go through the, the through the um, uh, the draft and I'm watching it on TV. I'm not physically there. I'm watching it on TV. My my family threw a, a party 
Um, usually in, in, in the States, we throw parties for, you know, these times or very, very, very big times, <clears throat> excuse me, in, 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 in a college, you know, in a, in a football player's life. Right. And so um, the last day was the last was the f five, fifth through seventh round. So fifth, sixth and seventh. And so I was expecting to get drafted in the sixth or the seventh. And I'm hearing these guys names called. It's not my name. Um, and uh, eventually the last pick of the draft happens. Um, they don't say my name. And so I'm disappointed. I, I go for a walk outside and um, my agent calls me and he says, <clears throat> hey, Brett, the, the, the Packers want to bring you in for a tryout. And so I just need an opportunity. I, I really was just like, give me an opportunity and I'll prove everybody wrong. Right. And so I, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm walking back to tell my, my family and he calls me back and says, Hey, the, the Packers drafted a safety, meaning that they already paid somebody to come play. So you have a better chance of making it on, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Browns. Right. And, and, and so it's, it's an investment, right. When you, when they're bringing these guys in, they're investing. So right. the, the job of an agent is to find the best team that suits your play, but also to find the best team that can keep you based on, you know, how many players they have. So um, a week later I go to, to, to Cleveland and um, I, you know, I, I didn't even know where Cleveland was, but on a map, but um, you know, went to Cleveland and uh, we had a three day practice. And the first day we came in, they handed us a playbook that was probably about six inches thick. And they said, "Hey, we're gonna run. We're gonna run about sixty percent of this tomorrow. Go, go to, go to your hotel and get prepared." And so I went to the hotel and I did, I did just that. So ended up staying up till two a.m. in the morning. Not, not just understanding what I had to do, but understanding the entire picture, understanding the big picture of of of, of the entire defense. And so when I went in the next day, um, you know, they asked us, could, "Could we? Could anybody come up on the board and drop a play?" And nobody raised their hand except me. And so I walk up, I draw not just my position, but everybody's position on the field. And uh, the coach goes, oh, all right, UCLA, that's pretty good. He didn't know my name. He just called me UCLA, right? <laughs> and so we got on the field, man, and I'm, I don't care who you are. I didn't care if you were the biggest, you know, draft pick that came in. I didn't care if you went to the top school. I, I came in as if I was number one. And I, I lined up, you know, at the, at the top of the line, and I was flying around. I was flying around. I was – uh, able to coach other guys on the field because I, I studied plays the night before and I was I was able to really just show my abilities and so the last day the third day we went through you know three practices everybody's sore your neck hurts your back hurts your hamstrings hurt everything hurts you you, you got muscles you didn't even know hurt right and so they tell us we have a conditioning test in the morning. We didn't know this till, till that day. They tell us that morning, hey, you have a conditioning test. And you guys are going to run, you know, uh, 20, 60-yard sprints. You've got to make it in seven seconds. Um, if you miss one, that's your warning. If you miss another one, you fail a conditioning test. And so I, it was kind of like it was more of a mental thing, I think, because, you know, guys had already practiced three, three, three days. You know if somebody's in condition or not. But it was a mental thing. And so I took it as a challenge. And I said, well, if I'm running these, no, there's not one person that's going to beat me. Not one, right? And so I made it a point to to run every single one of those sprints, and I beat every single person on the field by about five yards. I would turn back around, um, and I would get set. I would just run through the line. I turn back around. I line up, and I get set. And every one of those sprints was almost like a year of my life of of thinking back, you know, what I did and how hard I worked and what my parents had to do and bringing me to practices. And you know, even though I showed up late, I still showed up sometimes. They would get off work, and you know sitting in traffic trying to get me to practice and um you know i i, I it, it was just one of those life-defining moments for me i feel like everybody has these tipping points in their life where you know either you can take advantage of the opportunity or you can let it slip and it's the difference between you going to 
an entire different level, you know, entirely different level in your life or staying, you know, where you are. And so for me, it was just that defining moment. And I said, I know how hard I work for this. I know how much I prepared for this, but most importantly, I know how, how much I deserve to be here, you know? And so I just ran those sprints and nobody beat me. I, I just killed it. And, you know, at the end of the, uh, of the, uh, the conditioning test, the head coach whose name was Eric Mangini, his name is Eric Mangini um, at the time, and he brought all of us up. And usually what happens is they they break you guys, they let you go to the locker room, and then the scouts and some of the coaches will bring guys up to the to the coach's office and let them know that, hey, we want to sign you, or um, sometimes, sometimes guys get let go. Um, it's really kind of one of those, those defining moments. And so uh, what happened is he brought everybody up and he just said, hey, I, I want to congratulate you guys for going through one of the hardest weekends of your life. I know that, you know, this means everything to a lot of you. And uh, I just want to let, let everybody know we're signing Brett Lockett. And I was like, what? You know, my mouth dropped. Uh, everybody started clapping. It was kind of like one of those movies that, you know, that you see. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, so I signed to the, to, to the Cleveland Browns that day and, and flew home. And that was, that was the start of the NFL career. Wow, man, man. And did you always believe that you would make it to the NFL? Because I remember um, listening to uh, one of the podcasts that you did that, you got a lot of positive programming from your parents and that's pretty rare to hear. So was that something for you? It was like, basically the, it was no brainer that you would make it right. You know, um, for me, it was, it was a no brainer that I was going to make it. It was, you know, I, it was, it was weird as a kid. I didn't like, we didn't talk about like going to college, you know, when, when we were kids, it was just kind of like, you know, you go to grade school, you go to high, middle school, high school, and then you just go to college. I didn't know how you, how you got there. I just knew that that was the next step. You know what I mean? And so um, it, it wasn't really a doubt in my mind as to, you know, going to college. It was really just about what college I'm going to, you know. And so my parents have always, you know, given us a, a positive outlook and, um, you know, just be believing in who we are, I think is one of the biggest, you know, traits my, my parents instilled in us. And, um, you know, they, they, they supported us all the way they were at you know every single practice or game that they could be at um they would get off early to rush home and you know la we my, my mother and, and and uh and father they worked in la for the most part and so you know it's about an hour and a half to get there and it's about an hour and a half to get back depending on what time you're, you're going and so you know they get off early come back pick us up you know i have a younger brother who's who's um four years younger than me he played sports. He played in the NFL. Um, I have a sister who's eight years younger than me. She played in soccer. So you know, we, we all were, were, you know, just athletes, but it was all because of our parents as to why we were able to, you know, attain this level of success because there, there's, there's no accident when you, when you see the same thing happen with all three of your children, right? right. And my sister could have played professionally. She, you know, the, it's not the same in, 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 in women's sports as it is in, in men's sports, but uh, she could have played, you know, at a very high level in soccer. So, um, you know, the, it really started with, with my family, how they cultivated us growing up and, um, you know, and how active they kept us in sports. We played sports three, three, three sports a year. So it was, there was no downtime when we weren't playing a sport. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you look at that and you say, well, how does, how does this person become successful? And you're like, well, okay, now it makes sense. You know, and, and so I, I, I love studying some of the most successful because now, you know, I'm in business. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I run two companies. And so when I'm, when I'm looking at some of the, you know, my, my now stars that I look at, right, like Elon Musk, right? And I say, well, 
how did he get to where he got to? And you look at his, his history, you know, he was also bullied as a kid and, um, you know, his parents split up and he went to spend a lot of time with his dad, even though they, they didn't have a great relationship. His dad was an engineer. Mm-hmm. And so Elon learned a lot of what he does today from him. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. But, but he had a motivation. He had a, he had a, a, a something, an intrinsic motivation that pushed him to want to be better than everybody else. And I think it, it starts with the bullying with him particularly. It's just interesting when you look at his story, you look at like my story and some of the other people, usually um, they either had someone that was very, very hard on them. When you look at Michael Jordan's story, right? Yeah. Michael Jordan, you know, he always wanted to be better than his older brother and his, and his father paid more attention to his brother than he did him. Exactly. Right? And so he's always, he was always trying to, trying to make his father proud. And, and I feel like when you really look at mo- the mo- most successful people, they always have that one thing that they're trying to prove. What is it for you, Dan? What about you? What is your why where's that work ethic coming from the perseverance the discipline the commitment to your goals is there a big why behind it or is it just part of who you are would you say it's a great question when i really look and you know internally it it started as a foundation right there was there were, there were bricks that were laid when i was very very young and i'm talking about i was playing sports at four years old right? At, you know, organized team sports. And I played three a year. And so when you look at that, there's a discipline of going to practice. There's a discipline of outworking people. Now that, w- that was intrinsic. That right there was, I was, I was the first born. Um, I just always wanted to be the best. I was very, very competitive as a kid. Like it was almost bad. I, I would almost cheat to <laughs> win. Like that's, that's how bad I had to win. It's like, we're playing Monopoly, you know, I, I'm, I'm hiding cards under the table. Like I, I had to win. And so that in the sports but the foundation was being able to go play three sports a year going to practice still my parents still you know they were big on academics my mother went to usc uh, my father went to um you know cal state dominguez hills um here in los angeles and so school was still very big my mother actually sixth grade i i, I you know i was when i, when I was bullied and you know, i was trying to fit in and i was suspended three times in that year right i was just just trying to fit in, doing a bunch of stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And my mother that year did not let me play football. Oh, <laughs> coaches begged her. Like they, they begged her. They're like, come on, like let, let them know. Right. And so I learned a huge lesson that year, which was, you know, I have to be just as good off the field as I do on the field. Um, or it, I, you know, I'm not going to play. And so, you know, I, I, straight A's and B's the following years and so on and so forth. But those foundations were, were already laid, you know, from a very, very early time. And then, you know, when you look at the transition from the NFL to business, the, the discipline from sports has helped me be able to kind of uh, um, work harder than everybody else. Because there's a lot of people who take more time than they should getting to the destination. And it's because they're not disciplined and they can't stay focused. And so for me, it was just understanding what game did I want to become the, what's the new game that I wanted to become the best at, right? Because football was the old game, right? And I couldn't play anymore. I was let go um, after four years on the New York Jets. I played three years on the Patriots and then was on the New York Jets. And then I got let go. And so I had to figure out what was that next thing that I wanted to become the best in and what was that thing that intrinsically motivated me from inside. And so, you know, it started in, 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 in private aviation and then dabbled a little bit in real estate, started working on a lot of business opportunities, got into finance, and then now consulting. And 
understanding what games I wanted to play. And, it, and it's, ne- it's a never ending process of constantly, constantly looking at yourself and not necessarily saying what's going to make me the most money or what's going to make me the most fulfilled. Because immediately after I was done, I was chasing the money, right? I was chasing, hey, I want to make, I, I got to make the same kind of money that so I can maintain this lifestyle. Right. And so I was doing those things, but I was feeling burnt out. I was feeling unfulfilled. Um, and sometimes I wasn't even liking the people that I was working with, right? Right, yeah. So once I started chasing what lit me on fire, what was that thing? What's the thing that lights you on fire? Once I started chasing that, that's when I started be- becoming happy. And that's when I started wanting to become the best at that, right? And so um, that's how I live my life now. You know, if, if, it's, if it's something that I don't want to do, I'm not going to do it, right? And I don't care what the monetary value is behind it. If it's a person that I don't want to work with, I don't care how much money we could possibly make together. I'd rather work with good people, period. That's integrity at its finest. Integrity at its finest. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is. And I think we all have to ask ourselves, you know, what are our, what are our values and our morals and be, able, and, and be able to stick to that, right? Because, you know, and, and trust me, like there's times or there have been times where I've, I've gone against it and, you know, the thing that I was working on or the relationship fell apart. Right. But it was because I went against what what those morals and those ethics are. And so it's just constantly aligning what's what's most important to you in your life and, and then living through that. Right. And um, that's actually one of the questions that I also prepared in advance as far as if um, if you find some parallels between high performance in sports and then also in entrepreneurship and, and business and in what ways there are some parallels that you uh, could use from uh, your athletic elite professional background and make that uh, translation into the business world. And also related to that, I wanted to ask the question of how did you manage to make that transition from living your childhood dream of becoming an NFL player to then becoming an elite entrepreneur? Did you struggle with identity problems or purpose problems when you made that transition? So, you know, uh, I'll answer the second question first and then we'll work back to the first question. So the, the, the most difficult challenge for anybody is finding, once you find something you absolutely love, it's like a relationship, right? We've all fell, fallen in love with someone, right? For the, well, at least I hope you have or you're missing out on life, right? <laughs> But we're all falling in love with someone and then have had to move on to the next person when that relationship didn't go right. And it's the same thing with, with you know, Your, 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 the, the first love that you find or your passion and what it is that you do in life. And so for me, it was football. And, you know, I got done playing when I wasn't ready to be done. I didn't, I didn't finish on my own terms. I finished on someone else's. And so that transition was difficult because there were, you know, I was depressed. Um, you know, I, 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 I worked because I knew I, you know, I had to, but I didn't want to, I, I, there were things that I wanted to do that weren't necessarily, um, you know, feasible at the time. And so I had to, I had to kind of make do with what I had, the resources that I had. Right. And so a lot of it was really just redefining what I wanted at that time. Um, and so that transition was, uh, by far one of the hardest times in my life. Uh, I, I truly believe it was, it was a very, very difficult time. And, you know, if you talk to anybody who's, who's an athlete, they all have gone through it and it doesn't matter if they finished at a very, very high level or, um, or they didn't. And so, <clears throat> Um, you know, once I transitioned into, into, um, you know, business and I found what was, what was exciting for me, that's what, you know, that's what really started to help, 
um, helped me get back to, to, to finding what it was that I loved, you know? And so when you look at high performance and business and sports, you got, you have to understand that all of these things, right? All, all of these things, these three things, and it, it's funny because business is the world, but these three things are really the top 1% across right. the board because high performance isn't personal development. It, there's, there's components of personal develop development in high performance, but high performance is working with the people who are already performing in that, you know, in the 10th and the 99th percentile, right. And not giving them a five or 10% change, but giving them a, a, a two, a, a 2%, you know, shift right. or, or, or refocus to, to help them catapult to the next level. It's working with people who are already very, very high achievers, right. Personal development, I feel is more of development, developing yourself and, and, and defining what it is you want to become the, the best at or what it is that you want to leave for a legacy, right? Um, and so when you look at high performance and you look at business and you look at sports, anybody who makes it to that professional level um, or the executive level or just in business, whoever makes it to a, to a, a $10 million you know, uh, uh, business, 10 million in revenue a, a, a year is in that 1% tile of, 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 uh, individuals, right? Because when you look at a business, you know, we all know, and I don't know what the statistics are in the UK, but here in the United States, 95% of businesses will never hit a million dollars in revenue <clears throat> out of that 95%. Okay. Another 90, or excuse me, out of that 5% who make it 95% of them will not make it to 5 million in revenue a year. Right. right. And then out of that 5%, 2%, We'll never make it to 10 million, right? And so when you look at it, they're very similar statistics to making it to the NFL. And, and, and right. it's, it's, it's almost exactly the same. When you look at high performers, right? High performance is being, a, being, being really the, the top 2% in your industry. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at high performance, how many people will ever become top 2% in their industry? Not many, Not right? <laughs> and so, and so there's, there's a huge correlation between sports business and, and high performance. And then when you start talking about business and you start looking at, you know, being able to build quality teams and hiring the right people and creating the right culture within your business and your organization and building people as opposed to building, you know, a service or building a product. There's, there's so many correlations that you can really talk about, but the main thing is that it all stems from high performance, right? And if you want to compete at that level, if you want to have a real business, I'm not talking about the businesses where you're making, you know, uh, enough to work at, at, at somebody else's company, right? Because I, quite frankly, if I was making the same amount of money to work at somebody else's, or if I was making the same amount of money running my own business, not being fulfilled, not being excited about what I did, I just go work for another company, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. less stressful. <laughs> you, have to, you have to handle you're, you're running your business, you got to find clients, you got to handle accounting, you got to handle, you get sued, you got to handle legal problems, right? I'd rather go work for somebody else, clock in, clock out, let them handle that, right? right. So, like, seriously, right? Yeah. So, if you're, if you're running a business and your business isn't, isn't generating the money that you, that you want it to make, you got to ask yourself, is this a business that I even really want to be in? 
or should I just go work for somebody else? There's nothing wrong with working for, I, I know that, you know, everybody is preaching, Hey, you got to have your own business. You got to have your own business. And you know, I, I, I agree that if you have the opportunity to start a business, go for it. But running a business isn't meant for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. Right. It's for people who who can wake up every day and grind, wake up every day and, and look objectively at the at their situation and say, what am I doing wrong and how can I get better? Right. 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 And be able to focus and prioritize. And that's not everybody. Most people can't focus and prioritize. It's, I feel it's, like this is always that, that dream that is being sold because people only see the, the end results of the top one percent. And, yeah, and that's why you know that's why right now we have all these coaches and uh, and consultants who are selling these these courses online and these in these funnels and everybody's reading you know Russell Brunson's books about click funnels and yeah. you know I I I I appreciate everything Russell's doing and I think he's a fantastic individual but people are, sure. are buying into it and people are are, are selling courses or, or people are buying these courses thinking that it's going to change their life. And there's no course that's going to change your life. There's, there's no one thing that's, that's going to completely change how it is that you do something, right? Mm -hmm. it, may be, it may be a catalyst to start the change, but then there needs to be something after that. Right. Right. Like, for instance, I went to Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within years mm -hmm. ago. And one of the most life-changing life events that I've ever gone through, right? But it was the start to something. Yeah. Yeah. I still have to go back to my life and then take massive action and do the things that I needed to do in order to get to the next place that I wanted to get to. Right. And people are, are taking these courses thinking that these courses is just, the, it's, it's just the course. Right. And now I'm, my life is going to be changed and now I'm going to be able to make all this money. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't work like that. And so, you know, people have been selling snake oil for a very long time since the beginning of time. Right. Um, yeah. But, but I'm the, I'm the kind of person that, you know, I, I'm transparent and I, I believe in people I believe in helping people cultivate what it is that they want, but there's a certain process that has to be done and it's not a one-step process. It is, it's continuously ever, ever changing and you just, you, you just don't stop at, at step one, two, or three, right? Mm -hmm. there, it, it, it always continues and you always have to be looking at how can I take my game to the next level? And that's like how the NFL works. It's like I play for, you know, well, I play year one, Year two, I'm going into it thinking about, okay, what didn't I do in year one that, that you know, gave me the, ropes, the results that I got and what can I be doing better this year? And then year two, same thing. Hey, we're going in the same season. We're playing different players, different, different teams. We still got some of the same teams, but now we got to look at it objectively and say, you know, who is this team that we're creating for this year? And I don't feel like companies do that enough. I feel like companies get caught in the, in the minutia and they're going through the day-to-day -day and they're going year over year, but they're not looking at it like a new season. Right. right. Yeah, I know we have first, second, and third, and fourth quarter, but we should be looking at it as a new season. What's the new culture that we're cultivating? Because each team is a little bit different. Exactly. Some of them are, are, are extremely different, right? If we're rebuilding, right, it's a completely different team. But looking at it objectively and saying, like, who is this team? What's this culture we're building? You know, what's our strategy on winning and how are we going to keep doing it in this environment? Because right now, this environment is very, very different than what it was six months ago. Right. This, right. this, this environment is the new realization that if I don't have a digital business, I'm not going to be able to survive. And then once things go back to normal, which, or I should say the new normal, the, the, the goal is just saying, how can I adapt to this? And then how can I start creating something that's not going to sustain me for this year, but in the next 10 years? Because we're, people, 
and, and I don't want to categorize, but a lot of my, my, my clients and, and a lot of people that I've worked with are surviving right now. And survival will never, ever get you to thriving. Survival will get you to the next point, but surviving will never, ever get you to thriving, right? Because even, even at in times where people are surviving, right, you, you can always look objectively and say, where do I want to go? Right. I understand, you know, you may not be able to pay your bills. You, 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 you may have to fire people. You may have to let people go. But you can always objectively say, I understand that this is my current situation or circumstances. But guess what? Circumstances change all the time. Damn right. <laughs> Damn circumstances right. change all the time. And what's even crazier is that your circumstance can change in an instance. Real quick. <laughs> it, can, it, can change, it can change in a day. It can change in a week. Sometimes it takes a long time for change, but really it's, it's the buildup to that change, right? Because the reason why your life hasn't changed isn't because you're not doing the right things. It's because you're not prepared for the change, right? right? It's right. because you haven't developed the right skill set. It's because you're still doing certain old habits or behaviors and you haven't developed who it is that you need to be for that change to happen. Sometimes you just need to make a decision, right? That's, that's the crazy part. Sometimes you just need to decide. Yeah, we we're all one decision away from living a completely different life at all times. This is it so is. powerful. It is, and, and, and sometimes that decision is just saying that I'm not I'm not accepting anything less than X, right? I'm not I'm not doing this anymore unless it's fulfilling, or I'm not going to be this if it doesn't add value to who it is that I'm going to be long term. Right. There's, 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 there's ways to just decide, but it takes, it takes a conscious effort to make that decision. Right. It's kind of like do you, I, I'm, and I apologize. I'm not familiar with, you know, how you guys celebrate things in, in the UK, but you guys celebrate new year's. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, here everybody celebrates new year's, you know, they, they come up with all these goals that they want to do in the new year. And pretty much in January, it's one of the most busiest times for, for me as a person, because Everybody is on their P's and Q's. Everybody is accountable. Everybody's working hard, right? Resolutions, yeah. <laughs> Resolutions, exactly. And then we get into February and then things taper down, right? And then we get into March and people forget who they are, right? It's the, it's the hey, I want to lose 10 pounds or, hey, I want to, you know, start this business or, hey, I want to, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then they go back and they revert to who they, they are, right? And, and, and I, I always call this, this concept, it's from finance, but it's called reverting to the mean, meaning that, the stock market will always revert back to what's the, what's the mean, right? Even though the valuation is extremely high, it'll always revert back. And that's where you get the corrections, right? And so people are always reverting back to who they are. And they're just course correcting. And they never were that person that could sustain all those goals that they had. And so they just revert back to who they were, right? And the, the, the quest in life is being able to consistently advance that advance that level, right? That mean, right? So if your mean is, is at a 64, right? How can I get it to a 66? And then how can I get it to a 70? And how can I get it to a 75? And that, that is the, that is the, the, the quest. And how do you find momentum in your life? Right? How do you do that? Because the only way to, to, to increase your mean is to find that consistency and that motivation in your life. And it's about waking up, being able to have a plan, right? A daily plan, a weekly plan, right? right? Uh, a morning routine, things that get you into a peak state. Tony Robbins talks about this a lot, but mm -hmm. getting you into a, a peak state to where you make the best decisions for you that day, right? Because some of the, some of the times where I make some of the worst decisions are when I'm tired, right? Or when I'm not in a peak state, 
he stayed. And so, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice certain things so that you can get in that peak state because it really is the most important thing. So being your best self is more important than anything else, right? Because there's only three things that you can really control in your life. It's your mind, it's your body and your craft. And so those are the three things that you should always focus on day in and day out and try to, and try to make as, as, as efficient as you humanly can. Absolutely, my man, you're dropping truth bombs. Damn. <laughs> wow. And what I love about you is that you're one of those people who doesn't just talk. Like you're walking it. You're actually walking the talk and on an everyday basis. And uh, I mean, it speaks, it speaks for itself. Like your actions, your results, they, they speak for themselves, man. And that's what I really, really appreciate about you. No, I appreciate you, Michael, and, and thank you for that. It's just one of those things that you can't, you have to be congruent with who you are. You can't, you can't say things and then, and then do something completely different. It doesn't work, right? right. It, it may work temporarily, but eventually you're going to start looking at yourself in the mirror. You're going to start, look, you know, before you're going to bed, you're going to start feeling like you're not who you say you are. And so you show up insecure and, and you know, I, and I'm sure, you know, friends or you, you may have dealt with people who, you know, they're, they're, they say all of these big things and then the they time. don't back it up. Right. And that's, and that's insecurity, right. Making false promises and, and not being able to, to, to deliver. And, um, you know, sometimes there's other, there's other situations that, you know, people are, are dealing with, you know, I know right now, like everybody's dealing with the pandemic. So when you're, when you're, when survival, when you're in survival mode, you're trying to figure out, you know, how to, make money or how to get things done. And sometimes you don't show up as your best self. Sometimes you show up desperate or sometimes you show up needing something else and not providing value. And, you know, you, you always have to step back and, and look objectively at the situation before you go into it. You always have to um, um, get outside of yourself. And that's why meditation is so key for me. Um, and, and I, you know, obviously I recommend this for, for anybody and everybody if they're not doing it on a, on a daily basis. Um, meditation is the one thing that will take you to the next level. Um, the next thing is, is moving your body, moving your body every single day. Um, whether it's a walk, um, I'll, I'll tell you this little tidbit is if you move the faster, you move your body, the harder you move your body, the more you're going to be able to perform at a higher level. There's just, just scientifically proven. I'm not going to get into the, the, the biology of it, but just yeah. scientifically from a neuroscience perspective, from endorphins releasing from your heart, from oh, there's just so many different components that allow you to get into higher states of performance when you actually get into that one thing that it, that it is that you're doing. So doesn't matter if you're a coder, doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, the, the 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 next motivational speaker. You got to move your body, and you got to and you got to have a mindfulness practice. It, it could be, you know, it could be some type of spiritual practice. It can also be uh, a religious practice, but you know, having something to where you take your mind off of who it is that you are and you focus your attention on something that's higher than you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And before we get to the last segment where there are just three super short questions, I have one more question about your NFL career yeah, as sure. far as uh, playing with the Patriots because you'd be surprised, man, but over here, it's, uh, I'm actually based in Luxembourg. So it's not, it's yeah. not in the UK. It's, in, it's Luxembourg. It's a super yep. tiny country, yep. 600,000 people. And uh, there's a pretty big NFL community. Like, there are a lot of NFL fans, and the Super Bowl is a big deal here in Luxembourg. So, 
I think they would be glad to hear about your experience with the Patriots because there are a lot of Patriots fans here, and yeah. especially about being surrounded with greatness such as Belichick and Tom Brady. So mm -hmm. if you could get in, into that as well, your uh, time with the Patriots, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was crazy how I ended up there because when I made the, 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 the team on the Browns, you know, we went through training camp and um, they ended up trying to put me on the practice squad. And um, what happens is the team has to physically release you And then, what can, and then what other teams can do is they can pick you up and put you on that active roster. So each team can carry 53 active players. And so what happened is the, the Browns released me. They tried to put me on the practice squad. And then the Patriots picked me up the next day. So I literally am on the Browns one day on a, on a, on a Sunday. And on Monday, I fly to, um, that Sunday night, I fly to Boston. The next morning, I meet Bill, Bill Belichick, right? And, 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 I'm sitting, and I'm sitting in, I'm literally sitting in the Patriots meeting, right? getting prepared for the game we have next week. And so it was, it was just mind blowing. But, you know, when I got there, there was just so many differences from the Browns. Uh, the structure was the same because Eric Mangini actually worked under Bill Belichick. So a lot of the, 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 the structure he brought to, to Cleveland, but their players on the Browns were, you know, I was like, this guy's good. He's not great. Right. And I was like, I'm better than him. Right. When I got to the Patriots, every single person was good. Every single person was, was, could, could start. They may not have had the experience, but they had the talent to be able to start. And when you look at a lot of guys who are third string ended up becoming stars on the team, right? And so I, get, I, I come in, I'm in there with Patrick Chung. That's my, my, that was my rookie class. I had Julian Edelman, my rookie class. Um, and, uh, and we had some pretty big, pretty big guys. And, you know, I'm sitting in meetings and I'm sitting next to great, great players like Randy Moss and Vincent Wilfork and, you know, Gerard Mayo and Sean Springs. I mean, just guys that if you, if you look them up have been some of the best players at their position and, you know, Wes Welker, um, you know, very, very big guys. And the culture there was very different, right? The culture, when you, as soon as you walked in that door, there, there were, you have to leave your ego at the door, right? Because there was no ego with Bill. You had to, you had to be a part of the team. And if you weren't a part of the team, you wouldn't be there for long. Right. And, you know, we used to have sayings on the door when you walked in and, Um, it was, you know, leave the hype at the door, right? You walk in, leave, leave the hype. I don't care what the news is saying. I don't care what the media is. Don't feed in to the hype, right? Um, be your best, do your job. That, that was, that was pretty, it's pretty simple, right? It's not, it's not complicated. It's, it's be, do your best and, and do your job. And if you can do that, then you'll be around. If you can't, you know, you won't be there very, very long. And so it was just, it was, it was amazing to see the culture. It was incredible to see. Um, how hard a lot of these guys um, worked. And I was a guy that I worked everybody. To, so to come in early and see how many guys were there early, you know what I mean? Or I looked to my left, like, so me and Patrick Chung, me and him were really close friends. We we're both, you know, uh, rookies and he played safety went to Oregon. He's from the same area I'm from. So we were really close. <laughs> and every time I looked to my left and my right, when we were doing sprints or when we were competing, he's right there. You know what I mean? And so, I'm pushing him. He's pushing me. And that was really the culture there. It was uh, a group of individuals who consistently asked from each other the highest level of performance. They, they, held, they held themselves accountable. They held everybody else around them accountable. And they just wanted to win. And there's, there, that's, that's rare. It's rare to get around a bunch of people that just want to win. You know, it doesn't matter about, yeah, yeah you, you have some personalities that have egos and things like that. But it wasn't like a lot of the other teams where, you know, there was like this separation 
of offense or defense, or mm-hmm. there was a separation with guys who thought they were better in, better than like Tom Brady. He's very good at being the star, but still fitting in like the team. If that makes sense. I got you. I got you. There, there's, there's a lot of guys who were the stars and you knew they were the stars because they didn't fit in with the team. It was like me. It was like them. Right. And Tom, and as well as some of the other guys on the team, did a very good job of dealing with the stardom of being, you know, a great player. And, but they also fit in as the team and they fit with the team, right? There wasn't any jealousy or envy um, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, just, just uh, friction because of, you know, this guy's a star and this guy's a star. Well, I'm a bigger star than you, right? There wasn't any of that on the Patriots. It was, Come work, bring your briefcase, bring your bring your hard hat, and and let's go get some Super Bowls. And that's and that's what we did, man. And that's why I, I really enjoyed that experience. Being able to see that and be a part of it was just um, humbling and, and just a, a blessing to me. Man, championship culture right there. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, you, when you when you look at it and you say, how do you develop a, a championship? culture championship mindset it's it's that right there like study study that team study study from top down study from you know robert Kraft, the owner all the way down to the general manager all the way down to bill right uh, i'm interested to see how they do this year that tom's you know tom's in 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 tampa right um, i'm interested to see how they do but as long as i have bill i i have a feeling that they're going to be very competitive right okay man so we got the final three you can give like super brief answers to this Yeah, sure. And uh, the first one is if you could go back in time and talk to your 13-year-old teenage self, what is the ultimate advice that you would give to that younger version of yourself? Very simple. Keep striving for perfection. Keep striving for keep striving for perfection and focus. I got you. Uh, before we get to the last question, can you share with the audience where they can connect with you? And can sure. you tell us about your services as well? Yeah, sure. So um, you guys can can connect with me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Uh, my, my username is Brett, B-R-E-T underscore Lockett. And you can also go to visit my website, www.brettlockett.com. Um, and uh, my, my business is, so uh, I, I run two companies. One's a private aviation company. Uh, we, we own 20 aircrafts and we help clients fly globally. So if you guys are looking for a private aircraft, um, we're, the, we're the guys to call. We, we're Argus approved in the United States. That's just a safety rating. Um, but we also um, work in, in Luxembourg, UK, um, Asia, South America as well. Um, and then uh, for consulting and coaching, um, my, my company is Newport Ventures Group. And what we do is we uh, help businesses and entrepreneurs uh, find Uh, figure out ways to get unstuck pretty much. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it can get very intricate and detailed, but um, helping them find and close unique opportunities, also connecting the dots to bring in some strategic relationships to help the business grow um, as well as some executive coaching. So um, you can visit that website. It's newportventuresgroup.com. Uh, you can also visit www.m2jets.com if you want to learn more about uh, M2Jets. Awesome, man. Big time, big time. Now, final question. Yeah. What is your message to the world? I'm sorry, say that one more time. What is your message to the world? I have so many messages. <laughs> But the, the, the one that's been on top of mind lately is 
if you can control your mind, you can control your life. And if you can control your life, you can control the world. So I don't care where you're at in your life. I don't care how successful or not you are. The goal is to control your mind and be able to focus on the things that are relevant in your life to get you to the next level, because there's always a next level. I don't care if you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. I don't care if you're, you know, in Africa and, uh, you know, or Indonesia, and you just happen to stumble upon this podcast, you know, in a, in a, in a restaurant and you don't even have a cell phone, right? I don't care where you're at. There's always a next level and there's always a way to get there. And the only time you're unable to get to where, where you're going is if you quit. Period. Damn right, man. Beautiful, beautiful, man. But I, I want to thank you and acknowledge you for being a big time inspiration, for being a leader and being an example of greatness. And uh, I'm sincerely wishing you and your loved ones the best of luck going forward. It just keeps striving for greatness, man. It's just highly inspiring. When I see your videos uh, on, on Instagram, you're always getting after it. You show up every single day. And like one of my successful mentors uh, told me, uh, 80% of success is showing up. And you, you're the prime time example of it. So I just wanted to, to thank you for that because good energy is contagious. So just keep it up, man. You just never know who you're inspiring. Like you're inspiring thank a guy you, right here in Luxembourg. And so you just never know, man. <laughs> thank you, Michael. I, I appreciate it, man. And it's not just showing up, man, but it's also showing up looking good and feeling good, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Can't just show up and, and you know, looking, looking crazy, right? Show up as your best, best self, you know, make, make sure you, you take a couple, you know, a shower here and there, you know, smell good, look good and feel good, right? Right, right, they're right. Awesome. So, no, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you and, um, and your platform, man. This is, this is awesome to be able to tell my story, and it's not, it's not for me. Um, you know, if I, if, if, if I didn't inspire anybody, I wouldn't tell my story, but, um, you know, I just feel like I li I've lived some, some, some journeys and had some experience that other people, uh, could appreciate and, and hopefully be able to use. So, uh, thank you for putting this together. For sure, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. That's a wrap. <laughs> That's it for today's episode with my man, Brad Lockett. Feel free to connect with us and tell us what you like the most about this episode. And Brett is really a highly inspiring and smart man. And you can really sense a dog in him. It makes totally sense why he's such a big achiever. And with that being said, I would really be thankful if you would give a rating and review for the podcast. And I'm going to finish up with a quote from the legendary NFL Hall of Famer, Shannon Sharp. And that is, When people told me I'd never make it, I listened to the one person who said I could. Me. That's it for today's episode. Take care of yourself. Peace out. Growth never stops.